to the genesis of startups where we interview brilliant minds in entrepreneurship to explore what it's really like to start a business our guest today is tony sinclair tony has over 15 years of experience starting investment funds in debt and equity having launched his own businesses overseas he also writes about innovation and is a recognized startup mentor he coaches teams to turn impactful ideas into products first customers and revenue it's so good to have you on tony yeah, thanks, William. Thanks very much for having me. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and you know what you're currently doing? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I'm director of venture debt at a company called Catalyze here in Sydney. And we're a hybrid investment and consulting company where we screen early stage businesses. We look at market data to understand the growth potential. And then we provide the human and financial capital to see a business plan through. Our funnel skews towards impact investment. It's part of our ethos. And that just means that given a choice between a business that has, let's say, benign or, or zero impact versus a business that has a net positive impact, we place human and financial capital in the business with positive impact. I think we're swimming with the tide in some respects in that there are more mission-driven entrepreneurs today than there were a few years ago. And we're seeing many viable business models that have net positive outcomes. That's really good. That's what I'm doing currently. And before that, I lived overseas, as you mentioned, for 15 years. I had three fintech businesses, including Africa's first crowdfunding platform, which is another story. So, I mean, I, I've sat on both sides of the table, William, both raising finance for my own businesses and also doing venture capital screening analysis and placing capital. So I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs day to day, and I've been through the capital raise process many times. Yeah, definitely. So just for uh, our audience who may not necessarily know the, the terminology, what does it mean to raise finance? Yeah, sure. So put simply, raising capital just means that an entrepreneur sells equity to an investor and the entrepreneur uses that money to grow their business. Raising finance process that can take two weeks to six months, depending on the business stage and how prepared the entrepreneur is with their financials and their, their team and so on. Definitely. And so I can see it kind of being a double-edged sword when you start to raise finance for your business. Is there some sort of things that you should be wary of, kind of like a pros and cons for raising finance? Yeah, because the trade-offs of raising capital are not always obvious. If we think about an early stage business, it's really a product in search of a customer. Yeah. So you know, an entrepreneur may have a great idea that has been validated with sales or signups, but for tech-heavy businesses, that costs money to make the product in developers and all the rest of it, salaries. And the team doesn't yet have the revenue to hire all the developers that their product roadmap requires. So at this early stage at Seed or Angel, the investor is really buying the team's time to prove that the team can build a product and processes to make a profit. And you know that's the most common reason that entrepreneurs look to raise money. However, there are, there are other reasons. You know, a more prosaic reason to raise capital is entering a regulated market such as health or fintech where you have large upfront costs for licenses or clinical trials. Let's take, for example, spaceship superannuation. They probably needed $150,000 for a financial services license and legals and audits you know, before they even signed up their first user. And then extra on top of that would be capitalization because they're to fund drawdowns if necessary. So, you know, those are good reasons to raise capital. 
A third reason to raise capital is if an investor can help with strategic business development, you know, to open doors to different customer groups or that fuel sales. And that third one, that's what we do at Catalyze. But to come to the point of your question, really, which is around the pros and cons is, as I say, I mean, the trade-offs of raising capital are not always obvious. So I'm going to make a provocation, William, and that is that, that entrepreneurs don't want investors. Let's say for a minute that that is true. Now, to be clear, entrepreneurs want capital, but in this thought experiment, the entrepreneurs don't want the investors that come with the capital. Raising money from investors, it starts as an enticing opportunity for the entrepreneur, and over time, it becomes three things. It becomes more time spent on reporting through the organization. It becomes diminished upside from diluted shares. And it also can become committee decision-making instead of the fast, nimble decision-making that we associate with early-stage tech businesses. So if I was to use one word to describe each of those things, it's time, money, and autonomy. I have not met an entrepreneur who wants less time, less money, or less autonomy. That's why an entrepreneur chooses to start a business instead of getting a job. So given what we've just said, there's an obvious endpoint to that thought piece, which is a business can grow a few ways. They can grow from customer revenue or they can grow from investor money. And given the choice, an entrepreneur would choose revenue from customers every day of the week. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll repeat that that's just a thought experiment uh, to make the point that it's not always obvious today what happens to an entrepreneur's time and priorities when they take on investors. Yeah, absolutely. And I can see how at the beginning it might be attractive to raise millions from an investor, but then later on you start to realize as your business grows that time, money, and autonomy start to diminish because you of that initial decision at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some misconceptions about raising finance then? I'll give you two common misconceptions, William. So the first most common thing I hear is that raising capital is a milestone of growth. You know, if we take a typical entrepreneur story, it would be something like we have a great idea and therefore, as a logical next step, we can't go any further until we find an investor to fund us so that we can find customers. And, you know, then you, you, you hear that all the time. And so my, my first question to an entrepreneur is always, why do you want to raise money? You know, and hidden, you know, embedded within that question is, why do you think it's so hard to generate revenue from customers? And, I mean, this, this misconception... I mean, part of the problem, come, part of the, the reason for the misconception comes from VCs themselves. If you were to attend any VC event or webinar or podcast, you'll hear that growing a business from customer revenue is derisively called bootstrapping, in, in hmm. inverted commas. You know, naturally, VCs have a barrow to push that paints a picture of how hard it's going to be to grow a business without their VC money. You know, and this view is also encouraged by the ecosystem. You know, I'm disappointed that the supporting players in the ecosystem, such as incubators, um, co-working spaces, even government applications for grant funding, have adopted the language and speak of bootstrapping as though growing from customer revenue is not a feasible way for a business to reach scale. It is, and I would like to see more critical thinking from the ecosystem on the relative merits of growing from revenue instead of equity. Just to bring it back, I mean, as, as we mentioned at the start, I was overseas for many years. I moved back in 2016 and got a desk at Fishburners. And I mean, I, I was stunned to see entrepreneurs here so primed to talk about VC funding as the milestone of growth. Mm. And the reason this matters is that selling equity can take an entrepreneur away from their growth strategy of serving customers. And it can take a business down a narrow path 
where horizons of growth are defined by funding. You know, I've seen examples where conversation shifts from how do we build out this great product, the sh- conversation shifts to what milestones do we have to hit to get that next round of funding. Of course, this doesn't happen every time, but when it does, you know, the tail is wagging the dog. So, you know, I'll just repeat that, you know, raising money is not a milestone of growth. It just means that you've raised money. There are generally plenty of examples of technology companies that have grown from customer revenue. There's Atlassian, there's Flatmates, there's Campaign Monitor, Shopify, Braintree. You and I could sit here and list dozens of unicorns that started in the proverbial garage and reached 10-figure valuations growing from customer revenue. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and, and those are just the ones that get PR. You know, there are hundreds of invisible unicorns out there. So that's sort of the first misconception about, about raising finance. But if we, if we put that aside for a minute and let's just take the, the real world environment where, where entrepreneurs raise money, you know, a common misconception is that among entrepreneurs raising money is that pitching is like this sales pitch or a shark tank type scenario. And, you know, <laughs> and I, I, think you can, I think you can picture what I, what I mean by that where, you know, I, I see entrepreneurs who look at pitching as this sort of three-minute sort of one-way one way communication where you have these template slide decks that have 12 slides about problem solution and market size and team and financials and so on. You know, and these, these things are necessary, but they're not sufficient. So, I mean, just to give you an example, let's say I have 20 business ideas to look at this week. If you're pitching to me for capital, there's only one thing. There's only one thing you can do that's going to get my attention at a first screen. And that thing is this, you know, now that your product is in market, all I needed to do is tell me what the customer can do today that they couldn't do yesterday before they bought your product. That piece, that friction point is the only thing that I really care about to start with because everything else follows from that if you think about it, you know, great. So I know what your friction point is, how many customers and how much do they spend? That's your market size. Who else is going after those customers? That's your strategic market map. And apart from that, those are the functional aspects of a business. But what about, you know, you you the entrepreneur, you know, are, are you a nice person? (laughs) <laughs> you know, do you listen and respond to feedback? You know, I'm looking for emotional intelligence. You know, the, the, these are the signs that you'll be able to build a loyal team to see your vision through. And, you know, those are all the details that follow when I know more about about the customer. So pitching is not this three-template marketing exercise. It's a conversation between you and me. Yeah, absolutely. And to go back to your initial point, and it's strapping as hard and how startups look towards what sort of milestones they need to hit to get the next round of funding rather than thinking about how they can genuinely grow their business. And I think it's almost kind of like a perverse attraction in the startup community to glorify raising finance. You know, you see the headlines all the time, you know, XYZ company has raised $7 million of funding. And then we start to celebrate that as opposed to, you know, really digging in and thinking about, okay, so what did they do to improve the lives of their customers. That's what you mentioned before as well. So what can your customer do today that they couldn't do yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I share with you that, you know, my, my eyes kind of roll when I, you know, I'm on the various email lists from the various supporting players in the ecosystem. And as you say, you get this list of this list of uh, announcements of, of companies that have raised money. And every time I, I see that, I, I think, you know, I'd love to see a, a list of 
how many more customers they acquired or something like that because that's the evidence that that a company is creating value absolutely so you mentioned something earlier that i haven't really heard about as much which is venture debt can you tell me a bit about that yeah absolutely so venture debt it's a fairly new idea in australia venture debt is common in europe and the us for about 25 years venture debt has been used by high growth businesses in the US i think the stats are you know about 30% of businesses that are that are post series a have used venture debt to grow their business and that includes it you know every famous brand out of silicon valley google facebook etc so you know, venture debt is a product that's useful for scale ups that have proven their growth so, you know, in the name debt, I mean, debt is more of a downstream financial product because the, a company needs revenue to borrow against. So, so our markers of or what we look for in a company that, that would be a candidate for debt would be, say, let's say half a million dollars annual revenue and with a diverse customer base so that we know that that, that revenue is not susceptible to, to downturns and also with stable unit economics. So that means that the company or the, the business has their margins have been bottomed out. Their cogs, their cost of goods sold are stable. That means that I can forecast margins into the future and I can see how the company is able to, to service that, that debt. And, you know, just in real simple terms, if you're a company that has half a million dollars annual recurring revenue, then a venture debt company such as Catalyze, would lend, let's say, three times your monthly recurring revenue. So if you make $50,000 a month, you could probably borrow about $150,000. And the, the levers within, within venture debt, are, there's a yield component to pay the investor, and there's also an equity component. And all that means is that if a, you know, a company that's making in good revenue, the yield component would be low double digits, so that's the fixed income back to the investor. And there's also a, an equity component, which is low single digits. And the point of the equity is that the investor is able to see the benefit of the upside over the, over the period that the, that, the debt, that the loan is in place. And the idea is that the investor is, is, only on the, is only on the cap table for the period of the loan. So when the company raises its next round of finance, the investor has an option agreement to buy shares at the lower price from, say, a year ago and sell those on the same day for the increased valuation. And so, you know, I mean, the, the point of debt is that it's, not, is it's less dilutive. So entrepreneurs are very receptive to the idea of growing with debt rather than equity. You know, th there's, there's more than one way to grow. So... If entrepreneurs are not diluted, that means the investors don't stick around on your cap table. So entrepreneurs keep their shares and their time and their control. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned earlier that venture debt is quite popular overseas, such as in the US, but it's a relatively new concept in Australia. And why is that? Because it seems that you know it does have certain advantages over venture equity, and particularly if you're a business that's quite sustainable, as you mentioned, with the 500k annual turnover. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny question, William, I mean, because it's a question I've thought about a lot and I, you know, I don't have a, a magical answer. All I can really say is that 
I was overseas for 15 years and things are different in Australia. Some things in Australia just take a bit longer to, to reach here. <laughs> some, some ideas just take a bit longer. Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember that in venture capital, in the way that we know it um, in 2020 in Australia, is it really only sort of five or six years old. When you think about the, you know, the, the well-known brand name venture capital funds in Australia, you know, they're, they're into their sort of second or third fund. So they're only, I think, back to, what, 2014, 2013, you know, whereas venture capital has, is decades old overseas. So, yeah, I don't have a good answer for that. But I think, I mean, you know, if there are, if there are say, 200 venture capital funds in Australia, I believe there are only two or three that offer debt. Yeah, definitely. And I think the sort of shopping list that you mentioned earlier with sort of the, the prerequisites to be eligible for venture debt is quite useful for any startups out there who, who are looking to raise venture debt because oftentimes when we want to raise venture capital in general, each venture capitalist has their own categories to that you must satisfy, but it's kind of unique. And oftentimes, it, you, as a startup, from the perspective of a startup founder, it, it almost feels like you have to do that, you know, Shark Tank pitch. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's it's, it's it's true. I mean, one of the I mean one of the, the key differences is that is that as we mentioned, you know, venture debt comes along a bit later compared to venture capital. Venture capital is is, is much earlier in the life of a business, and you know, there's a good reason for that. Venture capital is is making a bet on on an unproven, usually an unproven team or a, an unproven product, and so that style of finance is helpful because it you know it means that entrepreneurs can prove their idea. However, since debt is debt and it's a loan, the business has to be able to show that revenue to be eligible. Yeah, definitely. What's the difference between venture debt and say going to a commercial bank to take out a loan? I mean, the key differences are always going to be risk. It's going to be going to be risk and return, right? So, yeah. a bank just has a very different risk profile for the types of businesses they will fund, mm. and what that means more specifically is that the assets underlying the business or the, the assets that underwrite a loan, right? So, if you're you know starting a a shop like a retail outlet or something, then you have assets that a bank would accept as collateral. If you are a tech startup with intangible assets like software or brand or something, you know, I haven't worked in banking, but I don't think a bank would accept a software product with half a million dollars revenue as collateral to lend against. That's my understanding. Yeah, I get your point. So venture debt by nature would be more accepting of, of their risk profile, whereas commercial banks may not be an option for all the startups out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and there's another component to that that risk return profile. Um, as we mentioned, there are sort of two levers of return for the the debt investor. That is yield and equity. So if if the yield is low double digits and the equity is low single digits, you know basically debt offers a, a discount on the yield because if you're if a startup is paying, let's say twelve percent to fifteen percent to a debt investor. There's no way that 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 twelve percent is a properly priced risk because you know an, a wholesale investor can get twelve percent secured. You know they can go go to sleep at night knowing that knowing that their money is secure. So the other component to that to offset that risk is the equity component. So the investor can see that that upside over the over the one to two years of the loans of the loan term. And to bring it back to your question, 
I haven't worked in banking, but I don't imagine that a bank would accept equity as an instrument, you know, because banks aren't in it for the upside, they're in it for the interest. Yeah, I get your point. So what are the requirements for a startup to raise capital or debt? I mean, investors are backing two things, William. Investors are backing either growth or, or the promise of growth, right? So if I buy a dollar of equity today, I want that to be worth more than a dollar tomorrow and I want it to be worth mm. more the day after that. So you know, creating that value for shareholders means growing share, market share on whatever the key metric of value is, which is usually revenue or number of users. Let's say you're a marketplace business such as Car Next Door. The growth metric is likely to be the number of car owners on the platform. If the marketplace has more listings than competitors, that means the company is creating value. And so Hmm. the the requirements for investors are evidence that your numbers are just going up and to the right and that you have operational efficiencies and customer excellence to minimize churn. And the second is, is the promise of growth. So an example, again, is regulated markets, where the promise of growth usually means an entrepreneur is creating a new category. Think, for example, equity crowdfunding, right? Not possible in Australia until the legislation passed in 2018. And then if you wanted to enter that market, you need to spend $150,000 or so on licenses and legal fees just to launch the product. So Hmm. the promise of growth is that this new category has enough demand and the new players in that newly created market will be able to capture that demand. And so the requirements on the entrepreneur are to show, or usually would be to show some sort of secret source to get growth, which might be a customer list or or leadership in the space or so on. Those are generally the, broadly, those are the requirements of a startup. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Genesis of Startups, Tony. Yeah, great. Love to chat, William. Thanks very much. It was incredibly valuable having you talk about the options for a startup to raise finance and some of the requirements that venture capitalists look into. To our audience, if you'd like to learn more about Tony or about Catalyze, feel free to drop us a line on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Until next time.